Well, for many, many months, that's been our prayer. It's the Lord's uh, leading. And uh, how just humbling and exciting it is just to be uh, standing up here and with you uh, this weekend. Um, many months ago, when this conversation first came up and we started dialoguing with, with the board about this, this possibility, um, our, our thoughts were all over the map. You know, this is what we've dreamed of, and Lord, help us. <laughs> and uh, at different days, our, our, uh, Heather and I, our thoughts were different. You know, she'd be up here and I'd be down here. And we're this way, this way, and the Lord has has really uh, knit us together and just given us an increased uh, heart for for what's happening in Cambria. And so all along, our prayer has been the same. Uh, Lord, what do you want to do with First Baptist Church Cambria, and uh, and what do you want to do with us? And and whether those are connected at all, that's that's totally up to Him. And and we're really great with that. Well, our our years in Cambria were really a sweet time in, in our family's lives. You know, our kids grew up here. Um, we grew up here <laughs> uh, in, in ministry. What a, what a privilege to be uh, mentored by, by Dave and those Tuesday morning meetings in his office as, uh, as he would so gently uh, set me straight. Uh, he's so, so gracious. Um, even when I'd play uh, hockey with frozen mackerel in the church parking lot, you know, he, was, he, uh, he had my, my back even then, really thankful to the Lord for that. So I really uh, love being in ministry here. I just love being uh, in ministry, so to speak, um, at all. But something I've discovered is that sometimes being in ministry, I'm kind of putting that in quotes, makes it harder to do ministry. Um, By the end of our our 10 years here, and actually we were here to the day uh, 10 years, uh, the Lord brought us here in May 1st, 1997, Back in the 1900s, and uh, and we left May 1st in in 2007, as we really felt the Lord leading us to uh, to Vacaville uh, as part of the journey He had us on. But during those 10 years, I I got myself in kind of a predicament, where uh, turns out most of my uh, friends were followers of Jesus. Um, I, I worked with believers, as you would anticipate, working at a church. Uh, my family was believers. Most of the interaction I had was with believers. And you could say I got myself into a bit of a, um, a Christian ghetto. <laughs> Christians all around me. Um, but then, fast forward and to, uh, to where I live now in Escondido, it looks a lot more like a, an, an actual ghetto. And uh, there's routinely uh, homeless people that sleep on the corner of our, of our street and, and in our alley. And we have um, regular visits from what we affectionately call the, the ghetto bird, the police helicopters that fly over our neighborhood. So it's really a different, it doesn't feel like uh, Cambria at all in those ways. Um, and then I went from a, from a role where I was working uh, you know, at a church to um, a role as an as a engineering drafter for a for HVAC controls company. And so I got to sit in the office and work with, um, with unbelievers every day and have lots of interactions. I think I have a picture of, of one of the things I drew. I'm pretty proud of it. It looks like, like modern art, if you want to put that up there. Um, I don't understand it either. I just draw what I'm told. Um, but uh, so daily, I'd interact with those who you know, are outside uh, the church, and uh, a lot of fun. But sometimes, I admit, I honestly didn't know what to say. You ever feel like that? Um, one day, I remember uh, this woman came in. She was the receptionist, this bubbly young lady. And uh, she had, in the course of conversations, told me some about her life outside of work. 
And uh, so she came in one day, and she knew that I was in seminary, and she says, aren't you studying to be a priest or something? And I'm like, well, you know, something like that, you know, details, you know, it's in the ballpark. Um, and she says, you know, you kind of intimidate me. And my first thought was, I can't remember when I've ever intimidated anyone, even when I was really trying. Um, but what I said was, you know, because of the story she told me, uh, I said, well, do you feel like I'm, I'm judging you, you know, thinking that you're, you're sinful or something? She's like, yeah, kind of. I said, well, that's why we all need grace. And she seemed to smile and, and walk away, like, chewing on that. And I thought, okay, I think, I think that was a good response. I think I did okay. Fast forward a few more weeks, uh, she came in. I was having lunch with, with a couple of the guys, and she plops down at our table and shows me her phone uh, to all of us. She's like, oh, you have to see this. This is so funny. And she shows a short video clip of a stand-up comedian. And it wasn't just crude, but it was also sacrilegious. And... Uh, I was trying to grasp for the appropriate response. If I said, uh, uh, if I said it was funny, then I would be betraying my convictions. If I said uh, it was offensive, then I would just be reinforcing her, uh, her uh, attitude towards me that I'm judgmental and we'd be shutting down possibilities of further conversations. And I really felt in that moment stuck. You know, what, what do I do? What do I say? Have you ever felt that dilemma in your own lives. What do I do? What do I say? I feel like the church in general is a little confused in this way too. We all, uh, we all struggle as individuals and as a, as a Christian community. And I think here's our tendency is to do one of these three things. One of those is to, uh, to withdraw. We just pull back, you know, try to not engage um, we get in our cloisters. Uh, we hang out with just people who agree with us. Um, I uh, was talking to a lady once. She just dreamed of a community where it's only Christians, only Christian music, only Christian entertainment. And I thought, that's a little bit like Bible college. And you'd be surprised how uh, that doesn't really pan out as you think it would. Um, so one attitude is just to withdraw. Another is to battle. You know, they're the enemy. We're going to set them straight. Sometimes that takes the form of, um, of just open uh, debate and antagonism. But more often, we just like to lob these little grenades, whether it's on Facebook or some other somewhat anonymous form, where the, the message of those little grenades is, your thoughts on life are stupid, and, uh, and I'm right. And we just kind of lob those. It's, it's a battle. So some withdraw, some battle, and others just blend in. Fly right under the radar. No one would ever know that you're any different, that there's anything different inside you than uh, the rest of the world around. I'd like you just to pause for a moment and think, which is your kind of default uh, strategy when it comes to just interacting with the, the rest of the world? Is it to withdraw? Is it to battle? Is it just to blend in? Which of these is right? Are any of them right? Seems like we can use some help in this area. I know that I can. And it's really great that the Apostle Paul has answered this very question in the book of Colossians, in chapter 4, verses 5 to 6, if you want to turn there with me. Let me just read this. And actually, for you, what uh, version you're using in the pews these days, but Right now, I'm in the New American Standard, but whatever you have in front of you will work just fine. 
Verse 5 says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity, and let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. And so let's just take uh, some time to, to think about that, to flesh that out, and what that would mean uh, for us. Since uh, by the look on your faces, I think a lot of you have the same questions that I do about how do we respond. So that first phrase, um, conduct yourselves with wisdom, or literally walk with wisdom, in wisdom walk toward outsiders. Um, this idea of habitually living your day-to-day life. We're not talking about an evangelism program or, or an event or some kind of strategy. We're talking about how we daily interact with people who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. And, uh, and so that's, that's how he starts off uh, here, walk in wisdom in this way. And we say, yes, that's what we want. Tell us how. And he goes on to tell us how. First of all, wisely engage unbelievers by seizing each moment. That's what he's asking us to do. Verse 5 says, making the most of the opportunity. Or quite literally, the time or the times redeeming. Snatch them up. Grab those opportunities. Um, I, I can't help let it show through that I spent several years in seminary, and I've been just anxious to talk about the Greek or Hebrew, um, but I'll try to keep it to a very bare minimum today, um, because that's what I know is a bare minimum. No, there's, there's uh, a couple of real common words for time uh, in Greek that are used in the Bible and elsewhere. Um, chronos, where we get, you know, chronograph or chronology from. That's time like the passing of time or the amount of time. So you might say, you know, how much chronos did it take you to drive up here on Friday? And it took us, I don't know, like six or seven hours, uh, including stops. So that's, that's chronos, you know, the passing of time or amount of time. And then kairos is more like an appointed time or um, the proper time for something to take place. You might say, you know, when is the big day of your wedding? That's kairos. It's like, this is the time, everything's set just for this thing to happen. Or, or maybe more simply, you know, when is your dentist appointment? It's, a, it's something that's appointed and it's appropriate, the timing. And so what do you think is used in this passage? Is it chronos or is it kairos? It's kairos. It's the appointed time. So you might look at it this way. Every opportunity to engage with those who do not yet know the Lord is a divine appointment from God. He's orchestrated this opportunity for you to seize that moment. And so, so much for the strategy of just withdrawing, you know, ooh, no, it's an encounter. I'm going to hide. Nope. Jump in. Engage at every opportunity. Uh, last night, we were chatting about uh, the, the joys of Amazon, particularly Amazon Prime. I know it's a little, it's a little dangerous because you could sometimes order something faster than you could just go down to the store and, and grab it. Um, but they have on Amazon uh, lightning deals or deals of the day. You can literally see the, it tick down and disappear. You know, that, uh, that heart-shaped uh, waffle iron, you know, it's disappearing in three, two, one. It's gone. <laughs> And, and you scramble, oh, you know, I lost my opportunity to buy that waffle iron. And those are deals of the day, or lightning deals on Amazon. And that's what it's like with these opportunities. You might 
see someone in a restaurant, you might be talking to a friend or a family member, and you, uh, you withdraw instead of disengaging in that opportunity, it's gone. We don't want to miss those, those opportunities. I thought about um, a, a couple different ways that this, this can pan out, or three different ways that this, this looks. Uh, how do we seize each moment? Um, one of those is by preparing for those encounters. So there's things we could do when we know an encounter's coming up. For instance, uh, maybe you have guests from out of town coming. They don't share your faith, um, but you know you're spending a lot of time with them. You can, above all, be praying in preparation for that encounter. Maybe you know they, they're wrestling with some certain issues. You can even do some research on those issues. Uh, you can think through, how might I be a blessing and encouragement and help these people when I meet them? So you're preparing. You know that encounter's coming, and you prepare for it. But uh, beyond that, sometimes we could just set up our own encounters. We can intentionally make decisions in life to, uh, to engage with those who do not yet uh, know Christ. Uh, one of the other pastors that I work with uh, down in Escondido, he has chosen to coach um, uh, softball on his kids' teams because it puts them in just regular contact with, um, with lots of families who don't know Jesus. And he has a great influence in these families' lives. It gets him out of the Christian ghetto of, of working in, in the church environment. Um, my youth pastor, um, Jerry Reif, uh, he just passed away actually just a few weeks ago. He was just a hugely influential man in my life. Um, probably the man that I've, above anyone I've met that just had a relationship with Jesus that was so close and, and vibrant. It was really very challenging. Sometimes it was actually really jarring just to listen to him because he lived so much already in heaven that we're like, ah, we don't understand. But uh, really amazing man. And uh, for, there was a season where he made a, a commitment, an intentional decision, that he would not let a day go by without sharing his faith with somebody. To the point where he might be getting in bed in his pajamas and realize, wait, I haven't shared Christ with anybody. He'd get out of bed, possibly still in his pajamas, and walk down to the 7-Eleven on the corner just to share Christ with somebody. Because he said, I'm going to be intentional about making encounters. And uh, that, that might not be quite how it uh, pans out in your life, but the principle's the same, is to set up these encounters. So preparing and intentionally setting up. But, but a lot of this just happens when we just seize the opportunities that God places right before us. And uh, most of you know, well, partly because I just said it, that I was in seminary recently, and I did a lot of studying, and a lot of times I'm study, I would study in McDonald's, because they have uh, cheap drinks and free Wi-Fi, and I could stay there a really long time. And I'd study, and I, one day I was studying Hebrew, actually, and a man came up um, that was just curious and asked me about that. Well, it turns out he was uh, from Israel, and uh, he, uh, he spoke Hebrew, not probably the same kind I was studying. You know, it's just a few thousand years different. But, um, but he started this conversation, but I was so involved in what I was doing, and uh, you know, papers and tests, they were coming, um, that I just cut the conversation short. It would have been such an easy segue just to talk about spiritual things, but I, but I cut him off. Um, I mean, not just like rudely, but I just, you know, wrapped it up as quick as I could and got back to studying. And I thought, you know, my lightning deal for Israeli man and McDonald's, it was gone. Just, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't go back to, you know, it's not like I can go back to Buena Park and find that guy at McDonald's again. Those opportunities, the Lord sets up that appointment. Here, what are you going to do with it? And uh, we need to snatch 
up those opportunities when we can. Well, some of you might be uh, thinking, is that really the case that we should always just engage unbelievers? Uh, I, I think of the words of my, my mom, you know, growing up of, oh, you know, make, make good friends. <laughs> or uh, I might think of the voice of um, the Apostle James, who says, part of pure religion is to keep unstained from the world. Um, but I also think of the voice of Bill. Uh, Bill was the parent of one of the kids in my high school youth group, and he came and did a presentation to our, to our student ministry. And uh, what he had was a bag of dirt, and he put on a white glove, like a marching band glove. And he says, this is like you, you know, holy, saintly Christian students, and this dirt is like the naughty world, you know. And he put his hand into the dirt, kind of shook it around and brought it out, and he says, is the glove dirty? And, you know, kind of we all nod, yeah. Is the dirt glovey? <laughs> You're like, oh, no, I don't think that's a, the thing, but uh, the dirt's not glovey. So the point of his, uh, his object lesson is when the Christian interacts with the world, the world is unchanged and the Christian is spoiled. And uh, it, it sounded all great and partly sounds great because there's some, there's some truth in that. But, of course, Jesus' object lesson was not a glove and dirt, but it was light in the darkness. It's a torch. It's a bright light on a hill in a dark world. So when you come into a dark room and you shine a light, which is changed? Does the, does the darkness swallow up that flashlight and turn it off, or does the room light up? The room lights up. Oh, yeah, we don't talk back in the shirts. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the room it lights up. So, uh, so it seems like Jesus' illustration was exactly uh, the opposite. You engage with the world, and the world has changed. Uh, I just like to read that. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And isn't that what we really want? Is for the world to glorify our Father in heaven. So, so what's the difference? What makes uh, life like a, a flashlight instead of the glove? I think it's because one is energized. And how it gets energized, uh, just to back up a little bit into verses 2 and 3 of our passage, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving and praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open up a door for the word. See, he's praying for opportunities. He's praying for a response to those opportunities. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned. So, a believer, a follower of God, energized by prayer, jump in at every opportunity. Well, again, tell you a story about my youth pastor. I said he was a super, just godly man, influenced people all over the world. But he was not a great orator. And he told us about uh, when he was in high school, he had, to, or maybe even college, he had a speech class, and uh, he was not really a speaker, and he got up and stood before everybody and just stared like deer in the headlights for a really awkwardly long time, and I'll try not to do that to you this morning, because it's just really awkward, and finally he just, he shouts, avalanche, because his speech was about avalanches. And uh, he shouts it really loud. Everyone gets jarred. Well, and, and then he forgets the whole rest of his speech. 
And so after another awkward silence, uh, he just goes and sits down. And I think his, his teacher uh, graciously gave him like a, a B or a C and, and just said, uh, good introduction. <laughs> that's all he had. Uh, so uh, let's not be that guy. Uh, you've seized the moment. Now what are you going to say? So first engage by seizing each moment and then engage by seasoning each word. Verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt. So season literally means this uh, skillful arrangement of ingredients. Um, so you're just carefully putting together these different things to, uh, you know, in a recipe or, or whatever. And so what are the ingredients in our conversations with those who are not yet followers of Jesus? Their grace and their salt. So uh, it says right here, let your speech always be, always, with grace. And doubtful that this is talking about some theological concept in this verse. Just Just the basic meaning of of grace is graciousness, winsomeness. Um, It's it's an attitude that elicits a favorable response. So in other words, your conversation should be such that uh, people want to hear more, not less. There are door openers, not door slammers. People want to draw near to the Lord and not run the other direction from the Lord. Winsome and gracious. So we talked about uh, our tendencies. We already knocked out withdraw, and now we've just knocked out uh, the battle approach. Um, In that, you know, grace graciousness, winsomeness, that's not battling. It's quite the opposite. So the other ingredient is, is salt. Well, salt does a lot of things. It um, brings out flavor. It preserves. Um, you, can, you can do lots of things with salt. But something you don't do with salt is just add it for filler. You're baking some cookies. You hear some friends are coming over. Oh, let's just stretch this recipe. You know, we'll just add like, you know, a few more cups of salt. It'll be just fine. You don't, it makes terrible, terrible cookies. So uh, you don't add salt for filler. And so as I thought about this passage is whatever else salt does, you know, it does something in that conversation. It accomplishes something. It's not just fluff. So you, you have this opportunity to talk to somebody. You're guided by graciousness, and you're guided by intentionality of wanting to accomplish something. And what, is, what are we trying to accomplish? Wherever that person is, in their relationship with the Lord, whatever their attitudes are towards spiritual things, we want to help them take one step closer to Jesus, to embracing him, to believing in him, to trusting in him. And that's what salt does in a conversation. Grace and salt. So no withdrawing, no battling, no blending in. Instead, we engage with grace and with truth. I apparently shuffled my notes. Sorry, I'm going to be with you in just a moment. <laughs> you see, uh, I think in our minds we, we object to this a little bit because we each have a tendency. So those of us who, um, who are fighters, we can find scriptures and examples that, that say, yes, we should be fighters. And those of us who, uh, who uh, are wanting the, the sweet, you know, the gentle winsomeness, we can find scriptures to back our way, and we think the other person is crazy. And... Uh, and yet, no, we need to be both. 
Some of you can really identify with Jesus holding little babies. You know, let the children come. Oh, we'll just snuggle those babies. And others of you can really identify with Jesus calling the Pharisees, you know, snakes and tombs. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, Jesus is like that. But the end of this verse in 6, it says, so that you may know how you should respond to each person, or literally how it is necessary that you respond. You need to, you and I must respond with not just grace, not just salt, but with both. Uh, In Ephesians, Paul says it in a real succinct way, speaking the truth in love. He compacts it even, even more for us. When we're out of balance with just one or the other, uh, it hurts. People get hurt. It's like on a teeter-totter. When it's out of balance, see that little girl right there? She's about to jump off. Have you ever had that happen when you're on teeter-totter and somebody jumps off? It really hurts. Uh, when, this, when these conversations are out of balance just one way, uh, it hurts. So uh, truth without grace, you know, salt without the winsomeness, that really hurts. That's like getting a door slammed right in somebody's face. But grace without truth, that hurts too. In fact, that, that kills. I think of, uh, you know, in, a, in the medical world, if, uh, if a patient has a disease that's, that's curable, but if not cured, would be fatal. Imagine a doctor that just doesn't want to hurt that person's feelings and just says nice things and, oh, you know, you'll be fine, and doesn't prescribe the, the cure. That'd be, that'd be terrible. Um, that person's life would be in jeopardy. And when we're talking about spiritual things, their eternity would be in jeopardy. So, not just grace, not just truth, but both together. So, I could find just right off the top of my head all kinds of bad examples of how this is not working in our world and in the Christian church. And some popped in my mind as I was uh, thinking about this and preparing. One is uh, several years ago when Caleb was uh, in soccer. He's probably like 10 maybe, and uh, and we got to practice right as another team was finishing, and the coach was giving this pep talk, and he was just laying into these, you know, these young boys, and and he had, well, a different kind of salty, uh, a different kind of saltiness in his language. He was, he was really uh, rough, rough words, and it was chewing them out, and just kind of going over the top, and then he ended by saying, "All right, gather in, let's pray." And like, oh my goodness, this guy's a Christian, and he's, uh, and he's admitting it, and he's trying to tie these things together, and not, not real uh, winsome. Um, I, I worked with a guy uh, for several years, and he was just, he, he was a believer. Um, he's just a grumpy guy. You know, like everything, everything that could go wrong in life, it somehow happened to him. And uh, his family was against him, and, you know, the government's against him, and and, uh, and the church, you know, you've been wronged by the church in various ways. And this is what he talked about all, all the time. And so uh, he'd speak openly that he was, a, he was a Christian, but he'd speak a lot more openly about, you know, how terrible life was, and, and especially in the church. And I just thought, you know, if you can't say anything nice, then don't tell anyone you're a Christian. <laughs> I think, you've got to stop this. It's not winsome at all. People ran from him. Uh, sometimes, you know, we have uh, Christian t-shirts. I saw one that says, um, don't believe in hell? It still exists, and you're still going there. And I thought, wow, that does not make me come up and say, you know, tell me about the hope that's in you, and, and I, want, I want what you have. 
Not winsome at all. Not winsome at all. And meanwhile, others just go through life and, and never, never put that salt in at all. You just go through relationships. Maybe people even real close to you don't even know what you really believe and, uh, and how sad as well. Is anyone doing this well? Uh, of course there are. And one of those guys, a friend of mine, Sean, um, I meet with some guys on Friday mornings at Panera, a little too early on Friday mornings. And uh, we pray together, and we, we talk through the, the week's sermon together, and hold each other accountable to some commitments we've made. It's just a really great time. Well, we meet at Panera now. We used to meet at Starbucks. And, and Sean just had this knack of... Um, of just talking to people in real natural ways about Jesus. And uh, he knew everybody, every regular in Starbucks, uh, he knew them. He knew their stories, where they came from, and uh, he's just that kind of guy. Um, it was really neat to see that uh, worked out in his life. And that's what, uh, that's what we need to be, just looking for those opportunities, just talking, identifying with Jesus, say, yeah, I'm with, I'm with him. And uh, that happened there just right in the middle of Starbucks. And speaking of Starbucks, <laughs> have you tried their salted caramel? Some of you have. And what's the verdict? Do we like it? Not like it? Some? Yeah, so, so mixed feelings. But by the way it's selling, you could see, by and large, people love that combination. And so maybe you're wondering, does this combination of sweet and salty really work? Do people respond well to that? Well, the answer is, by and large, yeah, yeah, people do respond well to that, uh, even though I could see there are some salted caramel haters out there. Uh, I'm not an amazing fan either. But the point being that uh, this is what God's calling us to, to be salty, to be sweet. So how do we we engage unbelievers wisely? We do it by seizing each moment, and we also do it by seasoning each word. But I know in my own life, I can be kind of haphazard, and sometimes I'll avoid an opportunity, like I already mentioned, and sometimes I'll be unbalanced in my conversation once I do have it. And, and why do we get so haphazard about this? Why is it hard? And I think one reason is we don't really realize that there's a true battle for the souls of people going on. Eternity is at stake. And, you know, in our military, there's uh, rules of engagement that help to, um, to clarify the mission, you know, with the least collateral damage, and, uh, and we follow these rules to accomplish the objectives. Um, but we noticed in recent years, we battle enemies that don't play by any rules. Uh, they use terror tactics, and they, they hide uh, military operations in hospitals, or they use hum- people as uh, human shields and just all kinds of terrible things. And that is what the father of lies is doing all the time and always has been doing. So some of us need to wake up and realize there's a battle for people's souls going on, and we need to get engaged right now. We need to speak up. We need to talk. We need to, to love and share and, and enter into that. Others of us need to realize that those who are not yet believers are not the enemy. That, that politician you disagree with, that honorary neighbor, that uh, grumpy family member, that, uh, that other person, your co-worker, they are not the enemy. They are human shields. They are uh, being held hostage by the father of lies. And uh, our job isn't to lob grenades at them. <laughs> our job is to negotiate their release by speaking grace and speaking truth 
uh, into their lives. And I think when we wrap our brains around that, the task really changes. And I think that that is honoring to the Lord. So don't battle, don't withdraw, don't blend in. But instead, at every opportunity, engage with graciousness and engage with truth. The Lord wants each of us to be the salted caramel. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a message about individuals, first of all, that you need to be the salted caramel, I need to be the salted caramel in my conversations with my neighbors and family and coworkers. But it's also a, a corporate message for the church, the, the church of God in, in Cambria, for First Baptist Church. It's a message God wants this family here to be the salted caramel in this community, to be winsome where people say, I want to know about the hope that they have. I want to know what, what makes them tick. There's something different about these people. And, uh, and that's my, my overarching prayer uh, for each one of us is that we would be that. And whether or not you like Starbucks salted caramel, you need to be the salted caramel uh, in this world. Uh, let me just pray for us right now. Lord God, we know that you love each of us. I know that you love this church, this church family, and excited about the, the amount of prayer and thoughtfulness that's gone into um, just trying to, to lead this church well. And Lord, we know that you love the people of Cambria and Cayucas and Harmony and, and all the rest, and that you desire that they come to love and, and to know you. And so, Lord, help us be salty and sweet, to be winsome and gracious, but also to speak uh, words of, of truth and power uh, of you. And uh, let us do this with the attitude of, of humility and attitude of dependence on you. Um, and, Lord, thank you so much for being so gracious with us. We offer this all to you in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, I'll have to tell you later. <laughs> okay. Uh